0: Michael is a resilience coach, relationship guide, transpersonal and somatic educator, human system optimization instructor, and transpartisan social entrepreneur. Michael Osterlink has been exploring the relationship between post conventional living, transformational leadership, optimizing health, and regenerative paradigms his entire life. After receiving his master's degree in transpersonal counseling psychology from John F. Kennedy University, He completed his postgraduate training in somatic psychology from the California Institute for Integral Studies with a focus on body-oriented psychology. As a marriage and family therapist, he has served patients dealing with mental illness, neurological impairments, chronic and life-threatening diseases, and relationship problems. As a transpartisan social entrepreneur, Michael has consulted for Center for Cognitive Liberty and Ethics, International Center of the Study of Psychiatry and Psychology, Pentagon Budget Campaign, and the arlington institute among others committed to excellence as a lifelong learner he graduated from the seal fits three-week academy in 2009 and has completed seal fit kokoro camp where he has become a master coach and head instructor with the seal fit unbeatable mind academy michael is also the director of human resilience at appear on where he works with medical and psychological staff in creating online and in-person programs seeking to transcend the limits of human performance and health so Michael is not just an expert at his craft, but the dude is an absolute badass. If you're unfamiliar with the term SEALFIT, SEALFIT is a company that was created by Mark Devine, a former Navy SEAL commander and one of the previous guests on our show. And he's created this crucible called Kokoro, which is a 50-hour non-stop crucible, where essentially it models Navy SEAL Hell Week. So Michael not only talks the talk and is an expert in his field of psychology, but also walks the walk and challenges himself and pursues a life of excellence, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to have him on this show. Michael's helped me in various areas of my life, and there have been times where I've had coaching sessions with him that he just very massively had me do a certain breathing exercise at a very particular point in a conversation that ended up creating an entire breakthrough for me without him even using his words. So the dude is amazing, I absolutely love this guy, and I'm grateful to know him. And I know you'll enjoy this episode. So
1: Michael, how did you get into the work that you do? Because you've helped me a lot, tremendously as, as one of my coaches. And I'm just curious what that journey has been like for you.
2: Well, if we ask my folks, perhaps I fell out of the womb in this space. <laughs> my, my memory, <laughs> first memory,
3: kind mm-hmm. of
2: getting into this, the field of human potential, human growth, and all, and, you know, all the subsets of it was mm-hmm. around age nine age nine so yeah i was um i had some health and learned disabilities as a kid in school was really hard although i was really smart and health conditions at the time were not treated the same way they were today so I, you know had some things going on inside my head put it mm-hmm. that way yeah Which we can talk about later if you wanted to but um my mom took me to see a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and we talked for like the first 45-50 minutes and at the end of the session i turned to her and i said he's fat and he smokes can't help himself how is he going to help me I don't want to see him wow and I left that that's
1: yeah. very insightful yeah. for a nine-year-old <laughs> yeah I know it's
2: fucking I, I would have yeah, thought the yeah. same thing
1: <laughs>
3: yeah
2: yeah fortunately my mom is on my side you know mm. and uh she's like okay you don't have to see him again because which I'm really happy that she took my side because most likely he just would have put me on a medication mm-hmm. this is 1979 and you know, there's no other options. Well, even today, most psychiatrists put people on medication. But mm-hmm. my mom found me a psych- psychologist, Pat Lawson. And Mrs. Lawson was great. So she taught me biofeedback. And this is 1979. So you can just imagine like the technology is pretty pretty poor. Uh, you know, balloons. If you relax, a balloon would rise. If you're stressed out, the balloon would fall on the computer screen. Mm-hmm. Nothing like it is today. But she taught me biofeedback. She taught me guided imagery. She taught me meditation. Um, she got me into the martial arts. So that kind of opened my whole world up mm-hmm. to like all the stuff that you and I talked about all the time, Yeah, you know, spirituality and nutrition, fitness and health and human optimization and relationship stuff. Um, so that, that set me first on the path of personal interest.
1: Mm-hmm. It
2: didn't become professional too much later, which I can get into.
1: Yeah. Oh, lo- I'd love to hear the story. I'm okay. sure. It, Cause it's a very yeah. interesting background that you have and, the the people that you help the way that you've helped them have been in like some really spectacular ways so i'd love to hear how it blossomed and some of the stories <laughs> that, that have come out of that
2: yeah so at age nine my first three books i bought myself were zen mind no mind by daisette suzuki zen and the martial arts and a book on yoga and nine, i'm sure nine. like nine <laughs> yeah yeah well and, and i'm sure if i had no effing idea what i was reading but i was really drawn to it like I don't probably didn't know what I meant what what was meant by the words but I was like mm-hmm. for whatever reason eastern philosophy I was drawn to mm-hmm. so from that moment forward I you know there's a magazine called east west journal out when I was when I was a kid into a early teenagerhood I used to get that and all the people I eventually study with in grad school were like talked about in those magazines so it was really cool eventually like 20 wow. years later or 15 years later to like pop it like oh my god I read about you 20 years ago <laughs> <or 15 laughs> yeah. years ago so it was always a private interest. Mm-hmm. So, you know, back in the day, besides those books, it was like Ram Dass. It was um, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. You know, those kind of books mm-hmm. were kind of popping onto my bookshelf. Yes. Um, private interest. Publicly, um, I was in college. Government was my degree. History was my minor. I think I also did a minor in business or something. I mm-hmm. uh, ended up doing an interview with someone in the government because um, my plan at the time actually was to go m- either military or law enforcement intelligence mm-hmm. keep in mind I was born and raised in a suburb outside of Washington DC
3: mm-hmm.
2: so all our neighbors were military law enforcement like FBI yeah that was CIA, the environment contractors yeah it's just yeah it's just the environment like what I was drawn to mm-hmm. and I'll tell you a funny story in, in a second about that but um so then I did this interview and it, was just, it ended up being a family friend. So privately, he's like, Hey, you should go back and get your degree, an MBA. This is the 80s. MBA is really big back then. Mm-hmm. That way you can was, come, come the into thing. this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it was a thing. so he said, Anyway, you can come into the government agency that well, I was interviewing for at a higher level. So I started an MBA program and I was doing fine. I think they were like a 3.5. Mm-hmm. Um, and then unfortunately, a um, dear friend of mine since I was five was murdered. Oh, wow. And um, kind of gave me the dark night of the soul. Like, oh, my God, you know, what's life? What's the purpose of life? I was kind of depressed. Not kind of. I was depressed and, like, mm-hmm. kind of in shock. Uh, he was killed in a bar fight. It was a mm-hmm. fight. He, they took it outside. The guy got a gun and, and killed him. Wow. Um, so just, like, blew my world open. Um, it got me thinking, like, you know, what do I really want to do with my life? Life is so precious. Like, those kind of internal conversations.
3: Mm-hmm. And then a
2: month later, one of my professors committed suicide, which is, like, nailed the coughing yeah. Like, fuck. You know, what? What do I really want to do? And it's not the MBA because I had no interest in any of the things I was learning, like accounting. Mm-hmm. The only thing that was interesting to me was the psychology of management. Mm. And I was like, well, if I'm going to study what I really want to study, why don't I just go back to my original interest, which I already discussed with you, more the spirituality and the human optimization stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I left that MBA program. I was pretty close to finishing, but I was like, no, nah, it's not not for me. Mm. And I moved out to California, and I did my graduate studies first at John F. Kennedy University in transpersonal counseling psychology, mm-hmm. became a licensed therapist, and then I did my postgraduate training at the California Institute for Integral Studies in somatic psychology. So I'll stop there. That's, you know, that's it starts to get professional.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's an, a, a crazy story. And what's really interesting is, like anything else, right, mortality of... When it, when our own mortality comes into question or when the mortality of those who are close with us or those that we love uh, confronts them in that way, what's really interesting about it is it puts everything into perspective, right? It's that yeah. whole stoic concept of memento mori, where death is the ultimate equalizer that puts things, puts priority right in front of your face. And like, what do I actually want to do with my time? Because yeah. it's very clearly limited and precious given the things that I've just experienced. Exactly. And, and
2: actually, one of the practices I've done over the years is meditate in cemeteries for that reason, mm-hmm. as a reminder of death. Mm-hmm. So like integrating the Buddhist practice of meditation with a stoic recognition of what you just walked through. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, um, yeah. It, <laughs> it's crazy because when I, when I hear your story, one thing that I think about is how, when I was in school, I was actually doing personal training as like my first business. Like I was just like a freelance personal trainer and I was studying kinesiology
3: hmm. and
1: I absolutely hated it. I didn't have the, the endurance to to go through as much of it as you did your MBA Like within the first year. I knew I was like, this is not for me, but the thing that was really fascinated by was the psychology of what it took for a person to transform the way that they viewed themselves so that they could make a transformation in their body. And I wasn't really interested necessarily in the science of it. I loved that that process of helping somebody shift the way that they thought about themselves and what they were capable of. And I realized that that was not a topic that was taught in school, and which is why I went the coaching route.
3: Right.
1: right.
2: Yeah. And I'll just do a plug of you. You're an excellent coach. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've actually seen. No, seriously, I've actually seen you uh, teach. So Thank good you. on you for having that realization and like, oh, this is my path. Yeah. Not this over here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a yeah. tough decision, right? Like, I'm sure you went through your own share of it when you were leaving your MBA and perhaps you had family or friends or teachers, like, what are you doing? Like you're almost done like, and you're going to yeah. go for this psychology stuff. Like, what are you, yeah. well,
2: And not even psychology stuff, but transpersonal. Psychology. Oh, transfer- can, yeah.
1: So, so not like, even like hell mean, that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not even the accepted form of psychology. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's intense. And so in, in that, I mean, there, I'm sure there are people listening to this who have wanted to do something that goes against, you know, what their friends, family, and, you know, maybe teachers, depending on where they're at in life, have wanted them to do. What, what was it that allowed you to make that decision, despite some of the criticism that you got? Well,
2: I, great question. I have a long history of challenging the status quo since elementary school. And the funny story in my family is my, is my dad, every, like when I was in elementary school, I would get in trouble. When I say in trouble, I don't mean like behaviorally, mm-hmm. but like my ideas would get me in trouble. And I'd challenge teachers on things. Well, my, my dad says, oh, wait to get out of elementary school. Once you get into high school? Everything's going to be better. Mm. and I got in, in a lot of trouble in high school and I can tell you stories if you want but then I would love to hear. Like, just wait till you get <laughs> to college everything's gonna be fine they're open for ideas and debates and dialogues and I got into college and I got in trouble I'm like holy shit mm. just wait to get to grad school I get to grad school and even though I was in an alternative grad school I still got myself in trouble right oh god this is never gonna end so you know, I've always been contrary to the consensus reality, mm-hmm. but not in, not in like an in a, like a, a, a offensive kind of way. Just I'm really curious and I ask a lot of questions and I don't take the face value of what people say back to me. at I'm like, there's more to it. I have to keep mm-hmm. probing, probing. And if people say to me, oh, you're just a kid, like, if their sentiment is, oh, you're a kid, what do you know? Mm-hmm. I, that didn't never stop me from keep pushing back. Right. I give you. I give you one example. Yeah. In a fun way. Um. This is sure. in high school. Um. I wrote a paper for one of my one of my classes, and um, let's see. She was a born again Christian, mm-hmm. and, which is fine, nothing kind of cool. And I can tell another story about that too. But, and I wrote a paper that was kind of a, um, life of Brian ish,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Monty Python ish, mm-hmm. and it really offended her. So she gave me a zero, but it offended her religious religious sensibilities. Not because I did poor grammar, poor spelling.
1: Yeah, it wasn't anything wrong with the writing. Yeah, yeah. But I was just making
2: fun of certain concepts in conventional life in my my story. Yeah, and but not not rudely. Like it really was kind of fun, light. Mm. You know, it wasn't like this kind of stuff. But she gave me a zero. And fortunately, once again, my mom came in and she's like, "Uh, "Wait, what?" Uh, and then we got through grade reversed. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Yes. So you know, yeah. So i there's a long history of either my mom or dad. Because when you're a kid, you really can't defend yourself against a teacher. Correct. But My mom or dad would show up in the various school classes, talk to the teacher, and kind of reverse things for me because they saw that more more majority of the time I was correct.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I gave you another example. I'm learned disab- I'm learned disabled, and I got put into a program I think in third grade.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I kept saying that I was giving, I was given the same assignments as everyone else.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: I was like, I'm not going to do it. Cause like my learning disabilities are different than yours. You're just wasting my time. Right. So I refused. And I was really clear about that. So yeah, it sounds like work. you were
1: very intentional about it. It wasn't just like, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to do it. It's like, no, that's not what my issue is. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. And, yeah. and I love to learn. So it's not like I'm like lazy and I didn't want to learn. I, like I, all my own did a lot of reading and mm-hmm. studying. But like I refused to do the work. So I spent a lot of time in the principal's office mm. and she would give me a hard time and yell at me if you're not complying. I'm like, but you're, they're wasting my time. Like, why would I want to spend an hour doing something that's not going to be helpful to me? Mm. So eventually my dad had to come in here and set her straight. <laughs> to set this teacher, you know, so I eventually got help, which is great. My parents were really supportive that way, but
1: that's amazing.
2: <laughs> and I'll give you one more story because they're fun. Yeah. At least for me. Um,
1: oh, they're, I, they're fun to listen to. So yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I had uh, I think it was geometry, trigonometry, one of those math classes. And um you remember you had to do proofs, you had to write out proofs. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's It's so long ago. I couldn't write them out. Mm-hmm. I could only do them in my head. Mm-hmm. So my teacher kept saying, You're cheating, you're cheating, you're cheating, because you're supposed to be able to write them out, but I couldn't, but I just figured it out in my head and I mm-hmm. could tell her the answer. Mm-hmm. But like, watch me. I'm not looking at other people's papers. Like I, just, yeah. I for whatever reason I can figure these things out.
3: Mm-hmm
2: so retrospectively the answer should have been wow how do you do that
3: mm-hmm. but that's
2: not what they did back then it was more like you're a bad kid and you need to get some help so my parents found me a tutor she was a math tutor who taught me the right way of doing it so i could not mm-hmm. get in trouble in school so that you know that was like a compliance thing like I, I don't know how to get out of this i have to do it the right way i learned how to do it the right way but the fun thing is is my tutor was also born again christian Mm. And she spent the first half an hour teaching me how to do it right,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the other half an hour trying to convert me. <laughs> and uh, I never told my I never told my folks because they would have pulled me out immediately. But I loved it because I just engaged with her, and like I learned so much from her about her perspective on yeah. Christianity.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it was like a really a fun conversation. So I like I looked like over a year, maybe six months. Like mm-hmm. I learned so much about Christianity from her born again perspective. Yeah, it was really
1: kind of cool. No, it, that that is super. <laughs> Because at least for myself, and I'm sure you, you as well, you've worked with people that have varying belief systems and even like religious belief systems that are very different from your own, like things that you don't espouse in your own life. And what I, what I found is like, just because I don't agree with what they think the world is or what life is kind of thing doesn't mean I can't learn something. Doesn't mean I can't appreciate their world. And at least from a coaching perspective, it's really important to be able to get into somebody's world to show them that you understand what they're feeling and, and talking about. Otherwise, your words land on deaf ears when you you know go to help them in any form of therapy or coaching. So I think it's really interesting to have that perspective that you did and very intuitive as well, especially as a kid. be like yeah let me let me learn about this (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
2: and you and I share spiral dynamics in common so we understand complexity of stages of development and stuff like Mm -hmm. that so I didn't have that model back then I have but now obviously as an adult I studied it formally like Mm -hmm. you know must have some intuition at the time like oh this is interesting some curiosity and intuition yes like I don't have all the answers I'm really curious about life explain to me how you see the world and for me, I like building maps, mental models, like ooh, mm-hmm. bigger, more expansive, more inclusive. So the more people I talk to have different worldviews than I, I'll, my maps expand. And I can mm-hmm. understand them better and understand like the, the the dynamic balances or unbalances in many cases that occur between conflicting worldviews.
1: That's right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of really cool. It is. It is. I, and, and now I'm, I'm curious because uh, I've not talked about spiral dynamics on this on this show before. It's something that I use, but I'm curious like what your how you use spiral dynamics or like if we could even go into like what they are uh, for the audience, as well as how you use them in your work.
2: Well, actually, since you did, just did some training, maybe it'd be best for you to explain what spiral dynamics is. In a minute. Oh, Michael,
1: you're my guest. <laughs> I'm sorry. I want to hear the way I'm you curious. do it. <laughs> and I, I'm like, don't worry. I'm going to chime in. I'm not just, <laughs> this is not just you doing oh, it. Good, good.
2: All right. Well, yeah. The easiest way I like to do it for ha- people who have, to have no background in spot dynamics or any kind of system like that is to ask them: Have you ever watched a child grow into adulthood? Maybe your own, you know, maybe a, a niece or nephew, and you notice that their complexity of thought changes. You know, hopefully, a five-year-old has a different level of complexity of thought than a seven-year-old, than twelve-year-old, than a fifteen-year-old, than a twenty-five-year-old, than a thirty-year-old. So, you know, you can see a natural progression of more complexity of th- thinking. In this case, cognitive capacity, in this case. Well, th- that is true in multiple different lines of development. You can see from moral development to, you know, like I just said, cognitive development, emotional development, all there's like 21 lines of development that there are particular stages that people can go through. It's not guaranteed, but they can go through. Spiral dynamics is one way of looking at that kind of thing. But theirs is more about V memes or value sets or worldviews or perspectives, how people see the world in front of them, not necessarily cognitive capacity, although that does play a role, not necessarily emotionality, although that plays a role, not necessarily morality, although it shows up differently, at different levels of complexity. Mm-hmm. So you can be with people and you can see where the, the life conditions might have created the conditions for them to express themselves in more levels of complexity in terms of their values yes. over time. And it's not just with individuals, it's with cultures as well. So you can look at our here in the US, Western Europe, Japan, South Korea, you know, kind of we're in the information age, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: completely different worldview than what we preceded us, the industrial age, Mm -hmm. which is a completely different worldview. When I say worldview, it's not just like I think differently, but the techno economic systems are different. The social structures are different. You know, the economic dynamics are different. Previous to industrialization, you would have agriculture, Mm-hmm. previous agriculture you, know, you can go further back but each each epic or or world world that's created from that particular worldview is different and as you as as we move from one to another we never leave behind the earlier ones we mm-hmm. transcend and include them so like you know you and i we took our summers off in school when we were little kids right june july august why that's when you're especially you're farming so I bet you and I weren't farming.
3: No, it's <laughs> not farming. But, <laughs> yeah.
2: but two hundred years ago or hundred years ago, people were farming. So the kids on the farm had to go to school, and then they took the summers off to do the harvesting. So you can you can look at any epic, and the epic that the new epic that emerges, and there's usually pieces of the old one that uh, mm-hmm. survive into the new one. You Very. Keep going forward along those lines. That's just one way of
1: thinking about I mean, it. You know what, I've never even heard it in that way, so I'm glad oh. that you explained it, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> it is, it is well, different than, I mean, it's yeah. it aligns with, but it's it's described differently than my original um, understanding of it. So I, I like that you bring in the, the levels of complexity because what it seems like with uh, spiral dynamics is, and, and for those who are unsure or who don't know what spiral dynamics are, one one simple way to break it down is we could look at it as values levels values levels of consciousness and what you value increases in complexity the higher up you go there's not one value that's better than another but the values the values levels they move with the changes in the needs of the environment all right so Mm -hmm. when we think about that at least the way what i the way that i teach it to make it simple for, for my clients is that, you know, you have your eight values levels based on the work of Claire Graves and each one, what the, what initially, I guess, creates the priority of that values level is what I like to call, like, what is your Godhead at that level of complexity? So values level one is survival, right? You're just values level one consciousness. The complexity is that you're just aware that you are a being, of some kind in physical reality and so it's all survival it's like eat procreate uh you know fight (laughs) like get what you need and that's it there's no there's no more complexity beyond survival and we don't to my knowledge there are no humans that are at level values level one consciousness anymore unless of course they're you know, out somehow out in the wild feral. (laughs) But again, that's probably not a thing. But that brings us to values level two, which is the tribal values level, which the Godhead in that, as you know, is the, the tribe, right? The the, the community, it's safety through the tribe itself. So it's very tribal consciousness and it's let's do what the chief says. Like the chief is, is, is essentially the, the authority figure, the Godhead of that. So when I, when I explain this to clients, because we do use it in coaching, is what does that level of complexity, what does that environment call for as your highest priority or your, your source of truth, so to speak? And that source of truth moves and evolves over, over the development of the human being.
2: completely agree you know and I, I when I talk about this to you in this very second a couple minutes ago you mm-hmm. know I, I'm conflating integral theory and spiral dynamics because I was brought up at the time I was brought up at the time it's kind of so weird to say when spiral dynamics and integral Ken and Don were friends and and is spiral dynamics integral mm-hmm. or integral theory included spiral dynamics and they separated out and they're different and if you ask me for pure spiral dynamics I might share it a little differently than I did like you know I didn't So I appreciate you walking through that. And there are other models of maps that fit nicely. You know, like you can look at individuals, they become, they go from egocentric Mm -hmm. to ethnocentric to world-centric as three examples. Egocentric is all about them. Mm -hmm. Sociocentric or ethnocentric is about their group, which is their tribe. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And although it might not be a tribe like in South America or a tribe in Afghanistan, like if you're part of a football club, Like oh i love the redskins i guess they're no longer the redskins i love dallas or you know whatever your team is for your sport that's tribal
3: Mm
2: -hmm. right or i'm an american and f all those foreigners you know whatever you like whatever your thing is Mm -hmm. or like you're in high school and it's like i'm part of this clique and i'm the the cool Mm -hmm. kids and like everyone else is over there we do tribal all the time that's right not just like three thousand years ago we lived in little little tribes Mm
1: Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's a great point. That like that what you were saying is like we carry the previous values levels with us as yeah. we increase in complexity. And what I always found interesting is like uh, let, let, let's just go through all all eight right now just to give context to this. So uh values level we went through values level 1 and 2, but values level 3 would be egocentric. Um like you were saying and the the thing that I would say is the the godhead hmm. to that person, to a person who is present and engaged in values level three would be themselves right like they they are the godhead their image or their symbol of themselves yeah, 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 their yeah. ego that's that's yeah. what's most important so everything gets taken personally there's no sense of shame there's a lot of uh i love i love this term i don't know if it's a real scientific term i don't think it is but it does sound funny is main character syndrome <laughs> like, oh wow, that's cool now <laughs> i've heard that one i, like I don't think it's a it's a real term but it is funny i'm um, yeah, <laughs> so that would be like very values level three. Whereas values level four is, um, you know, rules and order given by the higher power. So very like organized religions would fall into this. Uh, government systems would fall into this. School systems, uh, working for an employer and falling under the corporate structure, it falls under this. And so the Godhead is what are the rules? Like what is the right and wrong way to do things? And very, sure a, very much so. And, and many people fall into this category. And, and again, nobody is like a single values level. And I'm sure you, you share that with people as well, but their center, or at least like what they're most focused on or most present in could be, could be one. And what I've noticed in values level four, because there is this whole idea of right and wrong, there is a lot of shame and guilt that drives behavior in this values level. Mm -hmm. What has your experience been like with that when you're working with somebody of like in values level four?
2: Completely agree with you because it's really interesting. And it's really important for folks to listen to know that we're not talking about types of people. We're talking about types in people.
1: Yes. That's a great distinction.
2: And it's very flexible and Mm -hmm. life conditions shift people around and life experiences at various times can shift people around. So people can be at one general, as you said, level, Something happens; they can actually drop down to lower levels, and we can talk about that. Or sometimes pop up to higher levels, mm-hmm. which is an interesting phenomenon. Um, but uh, with my clients, most of them are not at that general level in terms of their general sense; mm-hmm. they're, they're higher. But they still, obviously, transcend and include. So they still have that programming in them. Yeah. And it's no judgment on the programming. It's not even judgment on people who want to live there or want to. That's what they live there as their general place being mm-hmm. in the world. Um, but it's about deprogramming mm-hmm. some of the messages that they got, which limit them from fully expressing and living out their lives. Mm. If you operate out of shame, because mm-hmm. you were sinful or whatever the religious system says is the term for doing it wrong, mm-hmm. you know, then you're, you operate out of kind of the reward. Well, I'm going to do it the right way so I can get rewarded. I'm not going to do it the wrong way because I want to get punished. And that sets up a really interesting um, split in the psyche. Mm. so you're not operating out of freedom of choice you might think you are but you're really operating out of fear and a machine yes and you got to deep I mean, you don't have to but our work here's my work with people you you get to you'd like to, you'd de-
3: like to. Program. yeah <laughs> right. you, yeah yeah you
2: get to deprogram that stuff mm-hmm. see it and then deprogram it.
1: that's that's very interesting because i noticed that one of the hardest transitions that uh, a person makes is from values level four to values level five and it's something that mm-hmm. both you and i did um, in our own way, like you leaving your MBA, was that the nature of that was that kind of a move? It's like I'm getting out of like what's expected and the rules, and like what I'm told is good by society necessarily. And I'm going to go my own path because I believe that this gets me ahead in these ways. Which brings us to values level five, which uh, many would call the entrepreneurial consciousness, or, or the uh, not falling into someone else's rule set or structure, but uh, pioneering your own rules and structure, which is interesting because those who jump, try to jump over a values level or skip one, usually find a lot of resistance and difficult time because we need to learn to some degree how, how structure works. We need, we must have experience of that. And, uh, what I notice is the jump from values level four of, you know, being in within a structure and listening to all the rules to values level five, where now you're bending rules. In order to get ahead, to win, to achieve, to to think beyond what has been established for you and creating yeah. your own path, yeah. that's a very difficult uh, jump to make sometimes because you get a lot of criticism from yeah. family, from friends, from society itself.
2: You know, a, a word that comes to my mind, because I was thinking about like previous, we talked about it's very binary, right or wrong,
1: mm-hmm.
2: people are good. And two words that come to mind for this level is effectiveness and efficiencies. Yeah you think about like not just the individual but you look at this history mm-hmm. we we left the feudal system for the enlightenment mm-hmm. the feudal system is very blue like you're told what to do how to live there's a clear hierarchy evil good right wrong and then the enlightenment emerges and it's like oh we recognize the individual we don't recognize these unnatural hierarchies by force
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, I'm the king you know that doesn't work in the enlightenment you know we recognize the dignity of the individual but but also the markets more fully emerge in the market, allegedly, if it's not crony capitalism, mm-hmm. is about efficiencies and effectiveness, right? How, how can I use the least amount of resources to provide the best service possible or good or whatever it
1: happens? That's to be? right. Yeah. So the that's Godhead where that becomes, comes, right? That Godhead becomes success itself, like success of the individual and success of what they're putting out maybe in the form of a business, a product, a service, yeah. that sort of thing. So that's, that's, exactly. that's a very interesting view on it. And then I I, I've always heard this is that the the values level level five is the master of the material world, right? They're the ones that they're driven to make money, to have success, to have material resources and an abundance of that in their lives. Uh, But naturally when they have more than they need for long enough, they get to that point where they go, what's this all for? And then we begin to emerge into values level six, which is, you know, the social consciousness values level where mm-hmm. we start to come into asking the deeper questions, exploring emotions and feelings and talking through a lot of this, this type of stuff and values level six, uh, you know, to, to use a crass term, it's like the hippie consciousness. <laughs> but it's a, in some ways it's, you know, looking yeah, into yeah. Yeah. how do how does everybody feel? Does everybody feel good? Does everybody feel understood and heard? And Going into that, the I want to talk about a a specific detail around values level six, but essentially the the trajectory from values level five to six is that that person, they have enough material success to the point where it no longer fulfills them in the way that it used to or no longer excites them. And they start to wonder beyond, they start to ask the question, like, who am I? Why am I here? what is the, what is the point of all of this? And they start to explore spirituality or, you know, different new age practices. Maybe they get into yoga, maybe they get into meditation, Um, but it's more so about love and light at, at values level six. So what is, what's your perspective on that, that transition? uh, Another
2: word is sensitive self emerges. Mm -hmm. You like become sensitive to like other needs besides, we've already talked about survival and order and law and order and stuff like that, but besides efficiency and effectiveness and strive drive, and I'm going to be You know, successful whatever that means Mm -hmm. for our culture, and the sense of self emerges. And I would like to kind of use the context of history. Yes. You know the the that this particular sense of self or the green Mm -hmm. meme mostly emerged in the '60s when people started recognizing, well, wait, we can we can have efficiencies and effectiveness. Like we can have great material things, but we're destroying the environment. Mm. Like we have to be sensitive to environmental conditions. So that's where the environmental movement writ large Mm. came onto the scene feminism started coming onto the scene not that it wasn't not that these things weren't in existence before they really blew up on the scene
1: right yeah around the same time too emergence
2: to these things yeah because it's like oh wait you know we're women we have full dignity we you know like we need to we need to explore and express our full dignity as human beings Mm. feminism emerges uh racial equality the racial you know the the, the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. Oh wait we have to be inclusive and sensitive, not only to ourselves, but groups of people who, are in, who did not benefit mm-hmm. from the earlier stages of, of development.
3: Yes. You know,
2: like here in the States, it could be the Native Americans or African-Americans. And you know, so those movements started to emerge in the 60s and 70s as well. Mm. Uh, and what's fascinating is like each, each V mean or stage of development has positive and negatives. Mm-hmm. so like you know if you can get too much to the extreme in one and consider can see the negatives emerging mm-hmm. the point my point is saying that it's like it's not all love and light
3: <laughs> there are
2: consequences to the emergence of a new value mean but there right. are some possible negative ones and then positive ones too mm-hmm. so it might be important at some point to talk about
1: those two. Oh yeah and I, I think that's that's a really important uh conversation is that that the emergence of the sensitive self like you're, like you're saying is really great for inclusion and for empathy, like social empathy and making sure that people are seen, that people are heard, that nobody's left in the dark, right? So there's a lot of inclusion there. And what, what I find interesting is in values level six, there's also no, no real proclivity, or not, not a big proclivity towards action. it's taking action or creating results, so to speak. It's a lot. It's very much about being and being in those feelings and talking about those feelings, which is interesting because it's almost a rejection of the values level five of like doing, taking action, creating success, And it's a, it's almost a rejection of that and like kind of pushing it away in order to kind of swing the pendulum in the other direction of like, we've through our action, we've done so much harm to the environment, to ourselves. Maybe we've let our health go because we are so focused on making money and and creating success in our life. So we swing the pendulum the other way to values level six. And what I find interesting is In that when somebody is you know blissed out and they're (laughs) for for long enough they're practicing their meditation their yoga and all that uh, for a long enough time then values level seven emerges with the question of like I need to do something like I need to do something about these causes that that I'm thinking about about these problems that I see in the world because values level six one of the I guess you could say like the negative sides of it or the the weaker sides of it is the, it's the recognition of problems, but not any action towards the problems. So not, no execution.
2: Yeah. I'd say like, it's not completely lack of execution, but I agree with you that like this, those are some limitations. Part mm-hmm. of it is like, you can't necessarily do consensus building mm. and also take action in a short period of time to get things accomplished. That's true.
1: Right, yeah, cuz everybody needs to be heard, right? So if you are having a consensus yeah. like the the, yeah. the the speed of decision slows down dramatically. So that's actually yeah. that's a much better way to put it. It's not yeah. that they don't like action, it's just everybody needs to be heard and their ideas yeah. need to be acknowledged. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that that, that, that makes time. <laughs> sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And then yeah. you know then then the values level 7 emergence of, you know, what can I do about this? What's the, what's the result that needs to get done? Like I'm not getting any results by doing things in this way. And so values level seven, you know, the way that I've learned it is it was taught as flex and flow where the the most important thing is results and not just results there. It's not like values level five where values level five is looking for results for self wants recognition for self in the material world, but a values level seven consciousness is more so looking for what are the results that are going to solve actual systemic problems like what can we do about these problems and values level seven doesn't care if it gets the recognition it will yeah. very gladly put someone else in charge if that's the best person to do the job because it's about the result not about yeah. necessarily the recognition for the result
2: yeah and I, and I like the flex flow and another thing about it, the way to think about it is like functional fit
1: Functional fate. Like yeah. The,
2: hierarchies are, are completely broken down. They're holarchies. Mm-hmm. But like what role does a person have to play at a particular time to accomplish a particular goal? And mm-hmm. then they can switch out. They don't have to be stuck in that role. They can move to a different role, depending on what is needed to get accomplished. And one of the one of the ways I like to think about second tier, it's called second tier in this level, mm-hmm. is like each of the earlier ones, the first six, they fight each other. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the blue one, the right, wrong, binary, order, law and order. They look at anything not them, they're like, it's evil, it's evil, it's evil. Let's mm-hmm. fight them for the most part. And the other ones can look at them and say, oh, you're 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 in the nut. You know, whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's like that's where if you they probably wouldn't say they're a nut, but actually they might say they're nut.
3: That. They but that's where the cultural
2: <laughs> wars can come from. You actually can diagnose and assess that or here in the States, the cultural wars we're facing. But looking at the different developmental stages that these different groups of people are at, and why they fight each other, the okay. words they use, the way they talk about each other—those are that's how the first six stages work. Not the first one; they're just surviving. But you know,
1: right. they look so they at each other two and fight. Six,
2: yeah. That's Second hard. tier or the seventh one is mm. the first time you have the ability to step into the first six mm. by choice and operate from those levels of consciousness. Yeah. So you're at level seven, you can go play in someone who's in the law and order space, understand where they're coming from and, and meet them where they're at, not be attached, not be so you know, triggered by them. Mm-hmm. Same with fourth, fifth, and sixth level. You know you can work with anyone because you understand where they're coming from. And you can step out and go to a different level of consciousness.
3: That's so you right. can
2: see where, where generally where people are at. You can see where they're at before, where, what might be next for them. Mm-hmm. But that can't occur until second tier
1: correct yeah that's that's really interesting could you could you break down the difference between those two tiers
2: so the the first first six one way to think about is each stage is in and of itself looking out at the world unique it is the right way of seeing the world Mm -hmm. and anything that's not that they look at the other ones they're like oh that's something's wrong with that those other people who think that way Mm you know and you know you can look at any of the issues here in the states with that kind of vision. Social conservatives versus progressives. Progressives are usually sixth level, you yeah. know, uh, green mean, and social conservatives are usually blue or second or third level, third level, okay. law and order. They're just they're completely different worldviews. That's what they find. That's right, time, right. And you can look at any of the dynamics that way through the through that mirror. It's a it's mm-hmm. a really good tool. Um. If you're in a particular worldview, that's the way you see the world. You're not really able to step out, observe it objectively, and say, "Oh, wait, hold on, let me start questioning this." Now, that does happen, and eventually pops you into a higher worldview. Mm-hmm. But if you—if it's your center of gravity, that's kind of like it's your glasses, and they're—they're they're glued to your face for the most yes. part, unless something really strangely occurs in the environment, or psychedelic trip, or some deep yeah, meditation, or like,
1: shoots you or into some that, closure, <laughs> yeah,
2: blows yeah, you open to see something differently
3: mm-hmm. but you
2: know it, here's my glasses this is a world view
3: mm-hmm.
2: we're in your second tier let's mm-hmm. just say there's like seven six six different glasses from the colors to or mm-hmm. levels second tier is the first time you can say oh wait i can see one i put on those glasses okay mm-hmm. i can see two i can see three i can see four i can see five i understand why they believe what they believe I understand the technoeconomic systems inflated with them. Their social structures, their psychology—it just makes. I mean, it just makes sense why they believe what they believe and what they do, why they do what they do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But second tier is the first time you're able to step into the earlier, less complex levels of development mm-hmm. and see them clear, more clearly—not fully clearly, but more clearly. Previous to that, you're stuck at your stuck at your level. You're not going to be able to. You know, like if you're um, level six, the mm-hmm. green meme or the or the sensitive self. You're not going to be going. Oh wait, let me feel into the law and order person and understand mm-hmm. where they're coming from. You're going to think, Oh my god, authoritarian, yeah, Nazi, they're fascist, whatever, yeah. blah 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 blah. Whatever you're mm-hmm. is they're bad.
1: <laughs> that's right. I find it super yeah. interesting because one. So that's
2: one way of thinking: second tier versus the first yeah. tier.
1: It is, it's definitely a really interesting way of seeing it because one thing that I've noticed or like one, to me, it's like a holding pattern around levels of consciousness, which is a values level four, six is, is kind of like what I've come to understand it as, which is somebody who lives in the society of four and abides by four rules, but thinks and acts like a values level six. So it's almost as though they live in a four container. Like that's their environment. That's also the way that they think about work, about other people, about themselves. There's obviously a lot of guilt and shame associated with that, but they operate in the values level six, entertaining the whole love and light, spiritual style of thinking. And what's really fascinating about that is I have often seen a person who's the reason why I call it a holding pattern is because they're essentially jumping over values, level five, they're jumping over any kind mm. of like entrepreneurial type of thought into, into this like love and light space, which is, there's nothing wrong with it necessarily, but there, there will be some sort of friction that happens as, as almost like a bypass, like a, a bypass of, of consciousness evolution. And in doing so, well, yeah, they may, fight feel compelled to shame those who disagree with them <laughs> even though the the original intention is inclusion they might shame those who are against their cause or feel like they are wrong because they are not with their cause so three thoughts on that real quickly
2: mm-hmm. um in spiral dynamics as taught by don beck and i believe chris cowan mm-hmm. they don't believe you can skip stages mm-hmm. Jenny Wade, who I also study with, who's a developmental psychologist who has Wade mindsets, which is a very similar type of system, which is research based, she says you can.
3: Mm.
2: So like, okay, we can have a theoretical debate. I just want to throw that out there if anyone's yeah, like, which oh, way? Okay. All right. um, and so we talked about transcendent and include. So I would I would wonder mm-hmm. is the person who who operates from this and I want I'm I might be a little bit messy with my language because we're in a conversation. I'm not teaching something. Of but course. Like, types in people, not types of people, but someone who's operating from a level six, sensitive self, green mean, I would say more likely maybe is that they have not cleared out their four level stuff yet. So they're bringing it in. Correct. So that's why you can see some, like you know, in the, some of the social justice movements, mm-hmm. very exclusiveness, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you just said, because they're not going to use the like the damnation, you know, Judeo Christian language of sin and evil mm-hmm. and good and stuff like that. But they'll use their own language of like, he or she is whatever, because they're not part of our group. They don't say the world the way I do. They're less evolved, they're blah, 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 whatever they call them, you
3: know, mm-hmm.
2: every kind of name in the book. Uh, but it is, it's a very similar attitude. Yes. From that level, from the blue meme or the fourth level of development, it's right or wrong but they're just bringing it into because they haven't cleared it out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The sixth level.
1: Yes. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Um, and I, I, yeah, I wouldn't even say they necessarily skip a values level. I think they, a person like that would be thinking in a different with like the language of a different values level while mm-hmm. still, like you said, kind of carrying or not closing out the stuff from the current values level if it's for, I mean, even, even in my own life, when I, when I realize this about myself, cause I do a lot of reflecting on this in myself. And I noticed that although I've been operating primarily in, you know, values level five, right. Being a business owner, being a coach, doing these things, like that's how I live. Like I often will think in six and seven values level th- six and seven. But what I had realized upon some reflection is that I was actually carrying a lot of Um, remnants of values level four within myself kind of uh, wanting a sense of security wanting a sense of safety provided from something outside of myself and it was it would took me it took me a while to realize that but when i did i realized i'm like oh like it it's totally messing me up to be to be trying to be in these okay. these higher values levels of like 5 and 6 and 7 while you know or at least thinking in that way being an entrepreneur being uh, spiritual and practicing zen and stoicism and all these things like it's very difficult for me to like operate in that while i still have remnants or attachment even if it's through rejection of a previous values level, which is, you know, that's a whole other conversation of emotional attachment. But even if it's that, I, it's important that I close that out and that I let that go. So it, it, it's a whole journey. I feel <laughs> in, in a lot of this, it's a, uh, it's quite interesting because I, I noticed that even in myself and upon letting it go, what I noticed was like, I, I was no longer driven by any kind of guilt um within myself of like not uh fulfilling what I thought I was supposed to fulfill or having to to please others, so to speak. And it was very paradigm shifting to let that go. Good um, on so you. Good yeah. job. Thank you. Yeah. It's yeah. A- yeah. take some reflecting but right? <laughs> and so well, and i would say you have
2: done a lot of work too it's not just sitting here thinking about it you've done a lot true. of like other that's like you
1: know, complementary <laughs> work with it that would right? be fair to say um yeah yeah so yeah. yeah that that that's that's quite fascinating and um you know just to to close out the the values level conversation could you share what your perspective of values level 8 is no
3: no <laughs>
2: No, you know, and the reason I say that, I mean, I have some intuitive hits, but I don't, I don't want to okay, because I spent, and I'll explain why. I, yeah. spend a lot of, <laughs> I have spent a lot of time with the uh, Spout Dynamics people. Mm. Like I studied under Don Beck, and I know a lot of the, those folks. And a lot of them are very concerned with people like me mm. and themselves and others kind of in the Spout Dynamics world talking about things as possibilities without the research supporting it, mm. Conjecture. Yes. So like, you know, the eighth thing is the the second tier, seventh is starting to emerge more fully 5% of the population. I think is Mm -hmm. what Wilbur suggested it might be or something really small, but significant number, but like, you know, the eighth would be really, really small that people are coming out and operating in that space. So for me to say, Oh, this is what it is. I I don't think that'd be a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Let's give some time for more people to show up in that space and see what ideas, what social structures, what economic systems kind of emerge mm. out of that?
1: I like it. Okay, can, cool. <laughs> we can, we can <laughs> a little cliffhanger. You'll... <laughs> we'll come back in 50 years and continue we'll the conversation. Back. Yeah, that's right. There will be a part two to this <laughs> in an indefinite amount of time. <laughs> but yeah, the, I think that the understanding and the, the, the study of values levels and uh, spiral dynamics is very helpful for understanding dynamics of even your own interpersonal relationships, right? There are a lot of times where there are disagreements that occur and uh, miscommunication that is merely a difference in values levels. And like, once that's understood, there's actually a deep amount of compassion and empathy you could have for that person to realize first and foremost, that they literally do not think like you at all. Like they're not in the same universe of thought. And so by understanding Spiral Dynamics, and it's definitely something I would encourage any of the audience here or listeners to, to go and research, uh, it can provide a lot of insight into perhaps a lot of challenges that occur in, in our interpersonal relationships. Right? A lot of these things are values <laughs> levels, misfire. <laughs> completely agree. And,
2: and also for anyone who does OD work or works within a business or is an entrepreneur like you work with, that's your true. clientele. It's like, if you understand Spiral Dynamics, you then know how to create the structures within your business mm-hmm. for, fun- for functional fit for the best productivity, health, wellness of the other employees and the planet, but also profit. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you have a better understanding of how to structure the different subgroups within a business based on like a model of dynamics. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really good for those kinds of things as well.
1: Absolutely. So I want to, want to shift gears for a second because sure. I, I know your, the, the field of psychology that you went into uh, was transpersonal psychology. Yeah. Was the, that was the, the, the pivot that you made. And I'm curious because I'm I'm unfamiliar with what transpersonal psychology is. So if you if you wouldn't mind sharing what that sure. what that is and the type of work that you do with clients in that realm. So um, multiple different ways to explain transpersonal. I'll
2: just use the word itself, trans through and beyond the personal. Mm-hmm. So recognition that the individual has a personality. An identity that emerges mostly through the interactions of their environment, family of origin type of things, mm-hmm. their personality. Yes. But there, there's an essential nature that is, exists prior to that. And or people have access to information outside their five senses mm. once they let go of their particular identity. Like this is who I am, this is my personality structure. So it's transcendent, transcending the limit, limited person we think we are. Mm -hmm. Now, in practice, like what we've studied is a few different things. One is within every religious system, there are spiritual practices, Mm -hmm. which help people expand beyond their limited self sense, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: meditation, yoga practices, um, uh, sensory deprivation, psychedelics. Prayer, um, chanting, there's various interesting pain techniques people use. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a wide variety of practices within different religious systems that help people expand beyond their limited identity, mm-hmm. open their mind, open their heart, free their body. Um, so, so, for me, is like studying the various practices, understanding the effects they have on the individual, and helping people who want to not everyone wants to, like I'm mm-hmm. cool with myself, I don't want to change. Okay, it's cool. But, but yes. if you want to change, you have to. Transcend the limitations of your own personal identity Mm. at that at that moment and expand, expand, expand. then I work with clients to help with practices that allow them to expand, allow them to continue to expand. Because you expand, like you have a new identity to live more expansive, you lock into place. That's the new person that I am. Like, okay, cool. Yes. And if you want to recognize that this is still a new limited identity, but maybe more expansive than it was, still limited. Let's keep expanding if you want to yeah um so when, when i studied in grad school i studied all these different practices and then as you know because it's becoming more and more popular um psychedelic medicines or plant medicines yeah. are a a tool that's become a more popular in our culture
3: yes it's more
2: popular it's, it's always been around for like 56 years but more legally available mm-hmm. because, of, because of the maps research that are being done and ketamine clinics that are rising and i think within two years the Biden administration just made an announcement recently of this. I think MDMA and psilocybin will be removed from Schedule 1.
1: Oh, that's fantastic four. news.
2: Yes. Yeah, so, so it'll be available for more clinical studies and, yeah, that's and potential great. use. All that stuff is really good. But like psychedelic medicines is one example of a tool used appropriately. That's mm-hmm. really important. That can help someone break out of the limited self-sense. Mm. Um, and I happened to have done my master's thesis on the therapeutic uses of LSD and MDMA in oh, the wow. late 90s so this is a long, long time ago
1: yes, yeah. it, it, was, it was not nearly as accepted at that point in time <sighs> no,
2: most of, most of my research was for the underground, you know, because it wasn't mm-hmm. like I could go to a clinic and say, hey, come talk. let me talk to you mm-hmm. about how it's going Because wow. yeah, it was all le- illegal back then Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was early 70s, the war on drugs Criminalized
1: that research. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to do it and you, you decided to step in. <laughs> do, do the research well, that th- was very much needed.
2: I'll tell you something interesting, just using back to spot dynamics really quickly. Mm-hmm. When I shared with my fellow students and keep in mind, this is a transpersonal program. So everyone should be, you'd imagine, open to ultra states, mm-hmm. non ordinary states, higher states, you, you know, whatever you want to call them. When I shared that I was going to do this particular subject, I got a lot of pushback. And I was so surprised, like, wait, this is a transpersonal school that you got. But I I sat with it, like, you know, you sit with things and think about it. And like, they were so um, propagandized by the Mrs. Reagan's just say no, Mm -hmm. that drugs were bad and it still hadn't gotten out of their system. So their reaction was like, oh, drugs are bad. Meditation is fine. Yoga is fine. You can do a little breath work. No drugs, Mm -hmm. which is just fascinating. It's like, holy shit. Things have changed a lot
3: mm.
2: now compared to 30 years ago or almost 30 years ago.
1: Wow. Yeah, that, that's, it's wild how, how much of a transformation there's been on you know, just the perspective there. But, you know, in the best of ways, right, these things can be very helpful. I know they've, they've been very helpful in my life, um, especially when, like you said, used responsibly, used appropriately. <laughs> I think that's, that's one of the, the most important things is to use them with intention we have such a limited view of ourselves sometimes thinking that we are just the personality or the ego. And the reality is it's just the way I see it at least is it's a symbol for yourself, right? It's, it's just the finger pointing at the moon, but it is not the moon. <laughs> and I know you, you enjoy uh, yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> You and I have talked about that at length. Uh, yeah. That's my
2: favorite scene. <laughs> end <of> the dragon. <laughs> That's right.
1: That's right. So the, um, the other question I'm, I'm curious about, Michael is what, uh, like with your work right now in, you know, where you are currently, what inspires you most at this point in time? Um, couples
2: actually. Hmm. So I was originally trained as a marriage and family therapist. So I did a lot of work with families and couples, also individuals and groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but since switching to coaching, I've been doing mostly groups and individuals. You know, you know, I work for seal fit. I work mm-hmm. for another company called Spartan Seven. I work for Dana Micret, Peronzoy. I run my own coaching program, dot, 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 lots of other hats. Mm-hmm. But in the last two years, I've gone back to my original roots and
3: mm-hmm.
2: started working with the couples. And I love it for a couple of different reasons. One, if I'm working with an individual and they have like relationship issues and they start talking about their spouse or their partner, I'm only getting their representation in their minds of what they see, the experiences of the other person or the thinking of the other person, the behaviors. Okay, it's useful, but not it's very minimal. Mm. It's incomplete, put it that way. When you work with a couple, it's you can't hide. It's so there. Right. Even if they don't say anything, you can get the energy, the facial expressions, the breathing patterns, the, the muscle tension, mm-hmm. you can just see it. Yes. The way they, they face or not face each other, how they sit next to each other or not, how they touch each other or not. It's so real. Mm-hmm. And the transformation I, I see in the middle of a session is so exciting like people just have these breakthroughs Mm -hmm. either personally shared with the other person in the room or interpersonal like something just breaks through in the relationship and they take it to the next level Mm -hmm. and that is so exciting i mean you know i work with some of our mutual friends Mm -hmm. and i'm just i'm just loving on them like love to see like the growth that they're going through and it's just really exciting and it's for me it's a fun place to explore and try new techniques Mm -hmm. like I like you, and like I meditate a lot, and I think a lot about stuff, and like, oh man, I'm going to try this thing with them because I think it'd really work really well. Mm-hmm. And I try it, boom, and and yeah, usually it works. Sometimes you, it doesn't.
1: <laughs> you get to you get to experience, like you know, changing yeah. your approach, being flexible, and that, that that's yeah. that's one of the big, I think, one of the best, most important traits when it comes to coaching, is the ability to be flexible in in, in behavior and, and in your approach as well.
2: Completely agree. Completely agree. So. Couples, and then I love when I'm working with individuals because I work very somatically mm-hmm. um, to to watch them deepen their own connection to their own physical self sense. Yes, and they and even if they get into non-ordinary states, but through the body as opposed to just like I'm leaving the body, I'm kicking off to the you know transcendent universe. Now, like like they're embodying themselves, they're really getting into themselves, and like and they're having deep, sometimes cathartic experiences. Sometimes I'm just connecting with parts of themselves they haven't been connecting with for various biographical reasons, trauma, mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be. It's like, it's so exciting to just see people go, wow. And it's not a cognitive thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's cool. Like, I love having conversations. Like, and they're like, oh, that's really cool. That's really interesting. Like, that's cool. But like when someone goes, <clears throat> mm-hmm. the whole body like lights up, not just their cognition. That's also exciting for me it, too.
1: It is. I, and I've been... Uh... I've been a part of that <laughs> as one of your clients in session, <laughs> right? Like I remember I probably my favorite session, you and I barely said a word. I like, I don't know what happened, but I dropped into this meditative state for like the entire duration of the session. And it was some of the, the most peace I ever felt like ever. And just, I didn't understand why it came to be. And then I I, I started to try to talk about it. You're like, no, 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 stay there. <laughs> yeah.
2: It was yeah You're i wasn't right. i wouldn't bring it up obviously because probably but you brought it up so yeah yeah your yeah.
1: perspective of that moment because um, i thought that was interesting
2: and and i think he, what you just said i want to highlight like mm-hmm. you wanted to talk about i'm like not just stay with it because mm-hmm. we not just you and i but we generally speaking seem to have a, a tendency to like create stories like i want to talk about what just happened and create a story make it into a rock and then put it over here and that's you know, cool okay we do that we were story creating humans that's kind of what we do but i find that that can be really limiting you know like if if you create the story too soon you're cutting off half I maybe mean, i'm making those off but god knows half of the experience you mm-hmm. have the wisdom the, the intelligence in that whatever the experience might be you might be only touching a piece of it correct now i've got to create a story and explain it and find a theory that explains it as opposed to like let's just stay with it Mm. And see what emerges in in the whole body and the whole system. Yeah.
1: yeah that's that's a great way of putting it. it. It just language itself puts boundaries upon our our experience. And you know you've you've studied Zen as as I have as well, and one thing that is very apparent is that even the when, when people ask like how would you define Zen <laughs> And a lot, like the typical answer is if you start to try to define Zen, you start to dilute the experience of it. Because it's not a philosophy; it's it's a it's a direct experience, and language itself puts stories around our direct experience and abstracts it from reality itself. And it's something that I'm sure you you resonate with this quote from Bruce Lee as well. But life is better lived than conceptualized.
2: So you'll appreciate this. So when I was in therapy school, you have to have you have to be in therapy. So I to, and my my mo is like, well, oh, I'm not just gonna have one therapist; I'm gonna have tons of therapists because mm-hmm. I want to get different perspectives and different yeah, things. Yeah. And I had one guy who's actually a Zen practitioner. Mm. He's also a Reikian. So I, I walk into the session and I sit down. I start telling my story because I love my story and this is my story and blah blah blah. blah. Two or three minutes in, he tells me to shut up mm. and breathe. For the next 45 minutes, I have to be quiet and just breathe.
3: Mm.
2: And it was so uncomfortable because I wanted to share my story. Cause I'm so attached to my story.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It took me a while to get the lesson. I'm like, oh shit. There goes my mind telling the stories I want to share with him, so he understands who I am. As opposed to like, oh, I can just be with myself, yeah, and breathe and just be. And that was a huge lesson for me. That was really cool.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the way Zen practitioners <laughs> do, do their uh, their coaching, so to speak. It's always so ridiculous. It's like, okay, cool, stop talking for forty five minutes and just breathe. I'm gonna I'm gonna go hang out over here and have some tea. <laughs> And I'm paying you for this. You're paying me to have tea. <laughs> Be <Yeah>. quiet now. <laughs> but, oh, man. Uh, so before we begin to wrap up, Michael, I wanted to ask you, this is, uh, so, so this segment of the Zen Stoic path is not specifically about Zen Stoic or Zen or Stoicism for that matter, but it's for what Zen Stoic aims at, which it, it aims at living a liberated life. So my question to you is, what does it mean to live a liberated life?
2: So I would say it um, has a possible few definitions for me immediately. Like it would be nice if I could think about this and give you like a whole thesis, but I
1: want it to be spontaneous. You
2: know, one is being, <laughs> I know. I understand. One is being free from programming, cultural family of origin, religious, national, ethnic, intergenerational, ancestral. Now, nothing is wrong with any of those things. You know, that's just, how the kind of human system operates and the social system works, but like liberation is being free from those or at least seeing those dynamics in oneself and being at choice. So you're not operating from how others think you should be in the world, others being like, like I said, all those different things. We're like, you know, what do I really want to do, to be, to explore, to express at any moment over time? Um, that is more true to me as a human being than being culturally programmed by by these different factors or different systems in our lives. And my experience would suggest is not just about, oh, it's all about me and I wanna be free from all these things and do my own thing. Okay, that's like step one, Mm -hmm. okay? So like you're against those things, you free yourself from them, you're liberated from them, cool, but like, I find that once you kind of get to the second stage of that, it's more like you, the deeper you dive into your own system, the more you ac- recognize you're actually part of this larger, greater, huger, more expansive system or systems, mm-hmm. really. Yes. So it's not just about what I want to do and I'm going to be like the teenager or the, you know, or the two-year-old you know, like mm-hmm. terrible twos. It's more like I, I'm free of these things or more, or more free on that choice, but I'm also operating from the place of deep love, care, and compassion. Mm. Awe at the world around me. And once you're in that kind of space, the creativity just kind can, can kind of flow. Because that is the nature, at least my experience, of spirit, reality, the
1: world. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. I like that. Thanks. That is a great definition. And, and it's also a great practical first step, right, is to... Figure out how to free yourself from the programming that keeps you bound at this juncture in in one's mm-hmm. life, right? And, and that could start with something as simple as changing the way that you speak about yourself, changing the way that you define yourself to yourself, for that matter, and and some of the beliefs that uphold that limited identity. Um, so I do like that definition. I think it's a it's also the first step is within. (laughs) Well, it's interesting is yes, the first step
2: was within, but I think it can take many cases working with a coach like you Mm -hmm. who can understand like the patterns and the programming and how you could help me or help your clients, like see them, that's right. Construct them and then operate from this more place of play, creativity, fun, and
1: and love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the thing itself is simple, but the process to get that thing is very complex. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, it's where where exactly. a coach a, a coach or or a good therapist can come in and and really help with that, especially if they have the training to do so to help you with the deconditioning of of old programming. Um, so, I, I right sincerely appreciate you being on the show, Michael. This was awesome. I really yes, enjoyed man. our conversation. Cool, thanks for uh, Where where can people find you if they if they want to look more into your work?
2: Um. Michael D. Australink is my website, M I C H A E L, the letter D, Australink O S T R O L E N K. That's my name. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter. I'm M. Australink, M, and then my last name. Um, So, any of those places you can reach out to me and see what I'm up to and ask me questions. And if there's anything you'd be helpful, you know, we can have that conversation too.
1: Amazing. Awesome. Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. And, uh, Looking forward to having you on again soon so we can close that loop. Hopefully it's not 50 years and (laughs) that would be good. (laughs) Cool. Thanks, Andrew. (laughs) Awesome.